is lead and believe. I believe, Benny. Now can you help me lead? Oh, boy, Brad. Here we go again. Absolutely. This is a podcast for leaders who want to build a world-class culture. I'm Brad Gustafson. And I'm Ben Gilpin. Woohoo, Brad Gustafson, we are back at it. Uh, and I guess the, the topic on everybody's mind is, is what's new? What's going on with you? Yeah, you know, Benny, life is good. Every day has its blessings and really cool things. And then I have kind of these longer term streams of conscience where I'm thinking about things like culture. And um, I know, you know, we live those things every day, but also they seem big sometimes. Like, how can we, how can we move? How can we enhance? How can we transform? What are the little things that matter that, that kind of lead to big things and things like that? So that might've been more than what you were asking, but that's where I'm at right now. How are you, my friend? I'm pretty good, but it, you know, just what you were saying right there, I know yeah. you're, you're a reflective person, you're a thinker, and I would also classify myself as I'm, a, I'm an overthinker. Um, <laughs> ditto, ditto. I get in my own way. That is, that is just who I am. Should we, hey, buddy, should we invite somebody else into our overthinking or maybe, maybe have someone who I would say has a great deal of expertise on culture and leadership into this stream of conscious? Am I saying that idiom right? Is it called a stream of conscious or is it something else? <laughs> who do you got for us, Gustafson? Who do you got? <laughs> we have Brad Fetterman, an author, a leadership Sometimes people shy away from the word expert, but I'll say I think expert or certainly someone who has a lot of expertise and recent book, Cultivating Culture. Basically, the thing that really drew my eye to this was strategies to like invest in and transform strength and culture in 15 minutes or less. Is that possible, Brad? It's absolutely possible. In fact, <laughs> I would argue that short bursts on a regular basis is the only way. Culture is a living, breathing thing. It needs to be nurtured. If you want your culture to nurture and feed your people, you must feed and nurture your culture. That is the only way it works. Placards, posters, big events, it, it, they don't work. Feeding your culture on a regular basis does. And that can be done in short bursts. When you say the big events don't work, clarifying question, because sometimes we'll have things, uh, you know, I'll just see things at my kids' schools, maybe at our school, or I'll go to corporate things. And they seem to be big events. They feel meaningful to me. They feel maybe like a celebration of a culture, a reflection of culture. But when people walk away and feel good about those things and what they invest in them, how help me reconcile the dissonance I'm feeling when you say those don't work. Like, what do you mean by that? Sure. What I mean by that is they're not long lasting. Okay. They feel good in the moment. They motivate you. They're wonderful. But what happens the rest of the year? I always equate it to these types of things. From a, a recognition and appreciation standpoint, you know, I walk into companies and I'll ask them, you know, how do your people know they're appreciated? And they'll say, well, we do a once a quarter, we do a, we do these awards. Well, that's great. But what about the other 89 days? You know, that the 89 days count more than one day of awards. How am I treated on a regular basis? It's the same concept with things with DEI, you know, it's wonderful to have things like Black History Month, right? Those kinds of things. However, the reality is black history is only one month or isn't it really integrated into American history. And shouldn't we be talking about black history and other history throughout the year? And, and do people appreciate that? Yes. But, but when you talk to people when they're older and they're out of school, there is also a frustration around the fact that everything gets shoved into a month. So they learn about Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, 
and that's about it, right? And then and then they move on. And there's huge portions of history that are left out that people don't hear about until much later in life. That's a great point. It almost sounds like you're you're a kind of unearthing a, a leadership issue that we have with lots of things we do, not just building culture, but prioritizing things are, that are actually part of who we are. Like Black History Month is American history all year long, not just for a month. So now Absolutely. you have me thinking, how many other things do we, whatever, relegate or try to subject to either big moments or short amounts of time that really should be nurtured? What's an example of a, a, an effective burst, if you will, like an ongoing going cultivative strategy that's smaller, 15 minutes or less? So we actually believe that culture should be built into the way you work. And, and one of the key things that we do on a regular basis are meetings, right? And meetings are used the wrong way. There are typically two types of meetings. The first meeting I'm going to ask you to get rid of completely. I'm going to save you time right now. It is the dreaded, horrible, non-useful update meeting where you sit there for at least an hour, sometimes two or more hours, and one by one, each person talks about what they're working on. Now, two things happen during that meeting. The first thing that happens during that meeting is Everyone tunes out when it's not their time because they're not being asked to collaborate, make decisions or anything. So it's so passive. It's ridiculous. And then the second thing that's happening is you have to speak when it's your turn. And that's your shot to say, I've got value. So you typically take longer than you should to actually share the information that you have to share, which drives everybody else even more crazy. So I say, Brad, Brad, I got to add one more thing. There's a third thing that happens during those meetings because I did it the other day. Really great conversation. People are taking turns and you you can start to think about what you're going to say while someone else is talking because you you want to be kind of prepared and not be an idiot. This was I usually do that a little bit. Not the not the idiot part, but the uh, (laughs) thinking ahead a teeny bit. I was in this meeting and I intentionally did not think ahead because I wanted to listen to the person before me thinking, I got this. You know, when he's done, then I'll shift. It did not go well because then I couldn't think about what I wanted to say and everyone was looking at me and I kind of had to do the past thing and I felt so bad. But anyway, I would submit to you, that's the third thing that can happen. That's probably not very helpful either. That's true. That's true. So I believe you can you can share that in bulleted format in an email very easily and you can save people a lot of time. Because meetings should be about getting things done. It should be about collaboration. It should be about working through things, which brings me to the next type of meeting, which I love, which is a work session where you're actually working through all the details of things and and making things happen. However, here's what people tend to do. They invite everybody and their mother to these meetings and they take forever. They get nothing done. And then they have a second meeting with just the people that should have been in there in the first place to actually get the work done. So, my take on the work session is know who's responsible, knows who's, know who's accountable, get them in the room, get the work done, inform people that need to be informed, consult with people that need to be consulted with, but make the work session that small group. Now, now that I've done that, I've saved you massive time in the workplace. And I think the key meeting you need to have is a culture meeting. It's a culture workout. And what do I mean by that? I think you start off the meeting with a quick, and I say quick, view of where we are as an organization, as a business. Here's where we're supposed to be. Here's where we're at. You celebrate if you're ahead. You acknowledge that you've got work to do. If you're behind the work, if you have work to do, get done in a work session separate from the culture workout. Don't derail the culture workout meeting, right? So you just go over the numbers. Everybody's on the same page. 
If you meet daily, your next thing is going to be what's happening today that you need to be aware of. If you meet weekly, what's happening this week that you need to be aware of. Just make sure people aren't surprised by guests, key things that are happening. They're aware of what's happening. Should be really, really quick. And then the majority of the meeting is spent on what we call a culture building activity. If you've got a certain part of your culture, like say you believe in customer focus, we're going to explore the concept of customer focus in a unique way for five, 10, maximum 15 minutes. But here's the key. People develop shared norms and values. Culture is simply a shared way of doing things because they play and they interact around concepts and ideas. If I were to ask each of you to write down a definition of what customer focus meant to you, I'd have two different definitions. If I asked 100 people, I'd have 100 definitions. What we need is we need a definition for our company, which means, or at least our team, we need to play with and interact around the idea so that we can all get to the same page. So we do activities where you, you actually talk about these things. You actually work through these things. and and some of them are conversations, some are activities. You know, one activity I have in the book is I have people who take a, uh, who have to draw a penny, for instance, out of memory, and they can't do it. Even though they've seen a, a penny at least probably 30,000 times in their life. And it's because we become unconscious of things. We go through, through life with rote patterns, and we don't pay attention to things anymore, the details. Just like when you are interacting with a customer and it's a customer you've interacted with for a long period of time, you probably take things for granted with that customer. If you're managing a building, you walk the building the same way every time and you miss things that you should be paying attention to. And you have a guest come in, they'll say, hey, you know, that light's out. And you walk by that light 10 times and you didn't even see the light was out because it becomes a rote kind of activity. And we have to begin to look at things for the first time every time we do it to stay fresh and stay new and use the penny idea as a vehicle for bringing that out in a discussion to reinforce how do we create something fresh and new every time we do it, even if we've done it a hundred times. So you do things, something like that. And at the end of that activity, you have a call to action. What are you going to do differently today to build trust with a coworker? What are you going to do differently today to wow a customer? What are you going to do differently today to make sure that you approach something fresh, right? And everybody walks away with a call to action. And then the last thing you do is you demonstrate appreciation for some people in that group and that team that deserve it, and you close the meeting. The meeting should last 15 minutes, 15 minutes of wow. It should be energizing. It should be fun. It should be playful, and it should be illuminating if you do it right. And that's what that book's about. It is. It is very focused. Well, it's got to be in that short amount of time. And just based on what he was describing, that sounded like a meeting I actually want to be at. And even if I didn't want to be at it, I think I could engage for 15 minutes. <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> so, Brad, help me with this one. We have, I think worldwide, there's an employee shortage. So, you know, it's almost like I want to use the analogy of the chicken and the egg. Is there a shortage because there are too many broken cultures or is culture broken because there's a shortage? I mean, what's what what's going on? Because... Because everywhere, almost everybody is looking for more employees. I mean, if you, you look at, you drive, if you drive through town, it seems like everybody's got a sign that says we're hiring. So is this a culture issue or not? I think it exacerbates a culture issue. So what do I mean by that? We do have a shortage of people. 
We have a shortage of people for a few reasons. One is we are at some of the highest participation rates we've had in years in our economy. Low, one of some of the lowest unemployment we've had in years in our economy. We've had a loss of people because of COVID. So you think about it. I did an analysis probably shortly after the major portion of COVID. We probably lost at that point in time two to 300,000 worth of people who were working people. Now I would say you're talking closer to um, 800,000 to a million working age people. We had a massive amount of people that were retiring early because they were thrown packages because companies said we can't keep them hired. So they threw them packages and, and they're not coming back that quickly yet. Right. That's that's part of it. And then you add on top of it, we have the slowest population growth we've had ever. And even if that turns around, that would take 20, 30 years to affect us in the workplace. So what's the participation? You, you referenced a participation rate. What's that? Well, it's a, it's another way of looking at unemployment. You know, how many people are in the who are participating in the workforce is a different number, but it's really a, it's reflective of employment status, right? So now, you know, the reality though is, you put all that together, we do have a shortage. You are absolutely correct. Companies are dealing with that long term by investing in technology, automation, robotics, and, and eventually that's going to soften some of it, as well as if we have a slowdown in the economy. However. Because employees had a lot of power recently due to the labor shortage, companies that have a better culture are faring better than companies that have a poor culture. And it has exacerbated it and and illustrated the problem that companies have. Brad, does the burst does the burst strategy, you know, the 15 minute just purposeful work and leadership decisions, does that apply at all to this employee engagement and trying to bring great people in the door and keep keep great people learning is satisfied? Like, is there anything that applies to this area? Yes, I think it does. But it's also even to add to that, though, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on leadership. Oh, yeah. Yes, there is. There is a huge pressure on leadership. But the problem you have is that most of them don't know what to do, right? They're struggling with it, um, especially when you're talking about leaders that are not really high up in the organization who have to deal with the pressures on a daily basis. You know, and yes, the bursts help with with this. I mean, the, the truth is people want to know, they want a few things from em, their employer right now. They want a level of flexibility, okay? They want purpose and meaning in their work. They want to feel like they're faster, better, and stronger today than they were yesterday because they know careers last 50, 60 years now, and they don't want to be 48 on the curb wondering how they're going to get the next job. So, you know, the, the reality is organizations have to give people a sense of those things to succeed. The number one determinant of turnover right now, 10 point, I think, four times more predictive than compensation is culture. So the reality is that's what people are looking for in a culture. Give me purpose and meaning in what I do. I spend more time here than I do anywhere in my life, including with my family. The only place I spend more time than at work is in my bed. So please don't tell me that if I spend the majority of my life in these four literal or figurative walls that I am wasting it. It needs to have meaning. And I need to make sure that I am more marketable today than I was yesterday because I can't put my my income in jeopardy. So make me better. And then I'm a real person with a real life. Let me bring my whole self to work and don't make it so that I have problems managing my personal life and my work life 
help me integrate this too and reduce the conflict. How can we do that, Brad? In addition to transforming meetings, what strategies can we as leaders do right to, to address that aspect? Well, I think a couple of things. One is you need to start looking at how we, we look at jobs. In most cases, we look at jobs we're hiring for in a way that it's easier on a manager or it's easier on the system, it's easier on the organization, it's efficient. But we don't look at, hey, is this job meaningful? Is this job a job that a human being would really like to do? Um, is there anything of value for them in this? And I think we have to start building human-centric cultures and, and environments. That includes looking at the way we divvy up work and we think about work, right? I think that's one of the first things we can do. Second thing I think we have to do is we have to think about we have to think about the fact that we are in a fast-paced world that's changing a great deal. We've been through a pandemic. And a manager's job, first and foremost, is, it, you know, we think about results. But a manager's job is not about results. Results happen because a manager creates an environment where there's trust and safety, which means they have to understand how each of their people tick. In the end, leadership is a relationship business. And if you build the trust and safety with your people, then they're willing to put everything on the table, which means they're willing to have productive conflict. And that productive conflict about beating ideas, not people, ideas around leads to real commitment. It means that they care. And once you have people that care, then they have ownership, right? They're accountable. And once they're accountable, then they're going to deliver the results. Our problem is, we focus on results and work backwards. We need to focus on trust and safety and work forwards. I wonder if result or if relationships and culture and trust should be considered one of the results. Because I still have a little bit of dissonance trying to say that we're not accountable for results. Part of me, in my mind, I've reframed it where relationships and culture is one of the results. And there are other ones that we are also responsible for. Please don't take what I'm saying as we're not accountable for results. What I'm saying is results are part of the picture, but they're not the foundation of the picture. The foundation of the picture is trust and relationships. When the foundation is results, we push people, we beat people up, we make people fearful, we put pressure on them. And that is not a sustainable strategy, especially when you want to keep people. So it really is about results being an issue it's, or being accountable for results. It's about putting them in their natural place. Does that make sense? So Brad, so, so this kind of speaks to me because I know, I know what you're saying. Way back in the day when I played college golf, I, my college coach, if I had a bad day, he would tell me that number doesn't define you. Correct. And so it was all about the relationship. So the results, yes, those results matter. That is part of who, who we are, but that doesn't define who we are. That's just part of the, that's just part of the puzzle. Yeah. Can I give you a sports analogy? I think would work real well with this. I hope the audience yeah. is okay with that. I have a person I know who, um, who was the backup quarterback for a football team, college football team. His father was the coach and uh, he never played. He never got on the field until one day the quarterback got injured and his dad looked at him and said, whatever you do, don't drop the ball. Don't fumble. And he went on the field, even though he did this hundreds of times, thousands of times in the field and did not drop the ball. That very first play, what did he do? He fumbled. And his dad looked at him again and said, what did I tell you? Right. 
get back on there. And and he was the back of quarter. They didn't have anybody else. Get back on there and and don't drop the ball. And second play happens. What happens? He did it again. No. Yes, he did it again. Oh, and then his dad realized, oh, my gosh, I'm focused on results. And I'm scaring the living daylights out of my own son. who, And it's his first time on the field. So his dad said to him, he looked at him and he said, listen, you do this every day. And you do it every day successfully. We, we practice this. You know what you're doing. Just go out and play your game. Go out and do exactly what you do in practice. Forget about what I said. Focus on what you know. And sure enough, he went back out of the field and it worked. The, the reality is fear and pressure and results being on the front end don't work. You don't get results because you browbeat people. You get results because they're good. They're talented. You hired them for that. You've practiced. They know what they're doing and you've removed barriers. You've shown confidence. You've given them the resources. You've given them the vision. Leaders, real leaders know that. And, and that's what they focus on because they know if they do that, the results will come. Right. Mm. Yeah. Brad, I hope, I really hope a lot of leaders, I, I hope all leaders have the capacity to model uh, productive conflict in, you know, treating people with respect, but but maybe disagreeing and talking through that. I noticed, I think it was on your website, there's a quote that you said, we've lost the ability to work through disagreement. And I see that as such an important leadership tool, not only to model, but to create cultures where people can talk through where they see things differently or, you know, and to show up curious into that, just kind of wondering with the few minutes we have left, if you could lean into that a little bit, if you have any bursts that might help sharpen our tools on that, but also bring, bring that knowledge to our cultures. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I think, you know, you're seeing people both socially, civilly and in the workplace enter conversations to win, to get their way. Some of that is a sense of individualism that's gone awry. Some of it is an inability to separate ideas from yourself, your ego, and that you view the idea as an extension of yourself. And so, therefore, when somebody criticizes an idea or works through an idea with you, you get defensive. You know, the truth is, just as your coach told you, that moment doesn't define you. Neither do your ideas. That one particular idea does not define you. You're, you're much, every one of us is a rich, complicated human being that brings so much to the table that's more than one moment in time. And I think we have to start focusing on emotional intelligence and on resilience. You know, over the last 10 years, we've seen a big drop nationally, um, even globally in EQ and in, in resilience. And I, I think we, we need to start focusing on giving people the, skill sets and the self-awareness to manage that that EQ, that that emotional intelligence, and and allow them to be able to understand how they work through conflict and manage their emotions well. That's a tough thing to do. And I, and I don't believe organizations have really spent enough time on it. I think they need to spend more time on that. And quite frankly, I think between that and culture, if we did that, you could work through so many things. And you could not only heal many organizations, you'd actually be able to strengthen the communities in which you live in because people will take that skill set out into their communities and they will use it there and share it there and spread it there. 
And if organizations don't do it, no one's going to do it. Well said. Very well said. Brad Gustafson, lead or believe, my friend? Where are you going with this one? I'm believing today, buddy. I am believing. Uh, And my kind of almost call to action is to embrace the burst mindset. So just show up in the little things and apply them to work we're already doing, whether it's meetings or you name it, you know, whatever your, some of your leadership responsibilities are, look for the burst within those. So that's a lens that I want to bring in the days ahead. And I do believe that, I mean, I am convinced, Brad, that in 15 minutes or less, small changes can be made. And when done consistently with discipline, big changes can happen. How about you, Ben? You're leading then, that means, right? Damn, damn. So this is an actionable, people. So this is something that we can all do. Leaders, please. I mean, Brad said it right off the bat. If it's a meeting that is just going over the notes, it's just, it it should should be an email. We should not be bringing people in and essentially just kind of having them twiddle their thumbs when it can simply be an email. It should be when you bring people together, it needs to be purposeful. It needs to bring all the voices in and the right voices in. And you really need to have goals and accomplishments right there and leave on more of a positive note. But if you can, and please do, things that can be in a memo, put it in an email, not a meeting. Brad, let's go with you. Last words. What do you got for us? People are social. They do better when they can play, they can interact, and they can have a network, right? And that, that, that's an interesting thing to look at organizations now. They were built off of a military hierarchy when we would put people in rows, in lines, and they would march across a field and fight another group of people that were in rows and lines. And they were all plucked out of villages unwillingly. And then we had this crazy idea that we would build organizations around that concept. No wonder why it's taken years, but you're finally seeing that structure die or hierarchies die. And they're being replaced by networks. They're being replaced by people that want to have more of a collegial relationship. Find ways to bring interaction and play and collaboration back into your workplace. Uh, Because guess what? The people that do that and do that well in an idea-based economy, which is what we're in, man, they are going to blow away and surpass everyone else. That's the power. The power of play is huge. I love it. That's great. That's good stuff, Brad. I am inspired, genuinely inspired by what you're sharing. And it has me just authentically wanting to dive into both your books this was deep and rich, and it's it's exactly what I was hoping to get out of these conversations, that the lead and believe stuff. So I want to thank you for your sharing. Thank you. So if you're looking for more information, uh, you can find more information on Brad at uh, bradfetterman.com. Uh, and we're going to have the link as we share that out on social media as well. But it's a, it is a wealth of opportunities. He And he does quite a bit of things. He's got books. He speaks. Brad is a great resource. We thank you again for coming on. Thanks again, Brad. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Creating a world-class culture requires intention and optimism. And sometimes it's the small steps a leader takes that matter the most. We hope today's conversation helps you move hearts and mountains as you lead and believe. believe.